Welcome to It Is Written Canada. Thank you for joining us downtown on the east side of the city of Vancouver, where there is a lot of personal and social need, desperation and homelessness. Our special guest is Anka Jenkins, who after being diagnosed with cancer at the age of 40 and halfway through her chemotherapy treatments, decided to go on the adventure of a lifetime. And that decision changed everything not only for Anka and her children, but also for people on the other side of the world who she hadn't met yet. Anka, we are looking forward to hearing you share your journey with us. Thank you for having me and letting me share my story. My name is Anka, and I'm a survivor and a missionary at heart. So Anka, you were originally from Germany, and you came to Canada. Tell us about that, and why did you come to Canada? Yes, I was about 19 years old. After I finished school, high school in Germany, I always had the travel bug, and I did a South Pacific trip, which I also included a stopover in Canada. And since I have distant relatives here in Canada, I have second cousins in the Okanagan, Canada, since I was a little child, was always a big dream. I'd never really been on an airplane, I'd never been to North America until I was 16. And um, so that was at 19, I got the chance to do a big trip, and Canada was one of my stops. As a little girl, I would see and hear about missionaries going to Africa and helping people in need. It touched my heart deeply and had a big impact on me. I wanted to be part of a solution, not just a bystander to all the human misery. I wanted to give others hope. When I was about 12 years old, I started thinking I would love to become a medical nurse and travel to places like Ethiopia or Kenya to help people in need. At the time, the famine in Ethiopia was raging and consuming so many lives. I still remember watching the news and seeing countless faces filled with pain, hunger and despair. Um, Anka, you've always had um, interest in helping other people. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I believe that sort of from very little on, I've been a caregiver. I love looking after, from starting as a little child, animals to people to just 
a lot of people say a heart of gold just because I really loved serving other people. So when I knew my cousin was a nurse, I was intrigued, maybe I want to become a nurse. Or being in church and having read all those missionary stories, I was intrigued by African missionary stories. Um, I wanted to travel and at the same time do something good because, you know, from Sabbath school on we were taught you know, you need to help other people and, um, you know, at that time, it's sort of around 1984 or even earlier, you know, a lot of famines in the world. So we saw a lot of those images and it always really, really touched my heart to see that there's so many people in need that I couldn't really relate to because I was born in a very privileged part of this world. As the years went by, my desire to help those around me never left, but I got busy with life. I became a wife and a mother, and I put all my energy into raising my family. It, it just wasn't my focus anymore. I was always helping people along the way. There was people at church that needed help. I took in a lady that um, I met coming into our church when I was a greeter at the church. Um, she came off the street. I was the one that was able to um, build trust with people and, and, and love on them and, and kind of met them where they're at. And so I think God maybe gave me a bit of a dry run for what was to come because I didn't know yet. She turned her life around. She came from addiction. She came from, uh, yeah, from, from a really, really hurtful past and just to give her shelter and let her live with us. And, and she then had the desire to change. And that is the big difference, is when people have the desire to change. Because I can be there and help people, but people do have to do the change. We can just assist them. You love to help others. What led you to the next level? In May of 2010, my world as I knew it suddenly came crashing down. Doctors diagnosed me with advanced uterine cancer. I was devastated. Was this the end of my life? I had so many things I wanted to do, so many places I wanted to visit. I asked God, will I be able to see my children grow up? Will I be able to travel to Africa to do your work? God, I know you're there. I know you love me. Show me the way and give me hope. Here I was at 40 years old, having two children that still desperately needed their mom. At this time I was a, a single mom. And I was always healthy. I hardly ever got a cold. We don't have a cancer history in our families. And I got diagnosed with uterine cancer. Like that walk into the doctor's office when they tell you, yeah, I'm sorry to tell you, but you have cancer. I never thought I would ever, ever be that one out of five people or two out of five, I guess it is now, that would be told that. So that obviously shocked me. And, um, my first thought, ironically enough, was like, wow, I'm going to die. What am I going to do? Is this the life I want to lead? What is my life like? What is happening? 
um, obviously my first concern was for their children. They're not going to have a mom around to guide them. Um, it wasn't so much about that I'm going to die because eventually we all will. But I thought it's a little early. There's still things that I would like to help with, especially raising my children, but also I never went to Africa. I remember that so clearly. It's like I've never set out to do what I really, really, really had the desire to do. So after I was diagnosed with cancer, I obviously had to stop life a little bit as I knew it, as I needed to go to some treatments. And um, which, thank God, to the place we live in, um, medical care is readily available which again, I learned later on in life that that is not a privilege that many people have. Throughout my surgery, chemo and radiation, I knew God was right there beside me, giving me the strength I needed and hope of the future. And about halfway through my chemo, of my only, thank God, three chemos, um, the children brought home a notice or I got an email at the time that they are planning a trip to visit a school that they had established a relationship with and sent donations and things to um, Kenya. And when I saw that, I was like, I'm going. I'm going, like, they're going to Africa. I have to go with these children, with my kids, because they're qualified. My son was in grade 12 and my daughter was in grade uh, nine at that time. And so my kids qualified to go and I'm like, well, they're going, but I'm going. And it's not typical of schools to allow parents to go as chaperones, but that I, I knew the person that was in charge of the program. So I approached him and I said, listen, I have to go on this trip. I want to go with you. And since it was their first trip and I have some travel experience and they knew me, they trusted me and said, okay, we'll make an exception and you can come with us on this trip to Mombasa. God's loving hand continued to guide me. Within a year of my diagnosis, I found myself in Africa with my kids, helping a school in Kenya. God kept gently guiding me he led me to my dear friend, Hemed Mukui. Through him, God gave me the opportunity to bring quality education and hope to Kalianombe, a village near Mombasa. So, Anke, tell us what your introduction to Africa was like. I had really no idea of what to expect in the real world. I've seen pictures, I write about it. You cannot prepare for such things. Um, you land in Mombasa and chaos starts. Um, but we were welcomed by the school um, that hosted us. We came with, we were eight kids and three adults. We were welcomed at the airport with smiling faces, with banners, with, with song, with dance, with just a huge, huge, warm, warm welcome. And it was just overpowering after flying for 32 hours, you're overtired, you're just, you're done. All you want is a bed and you come there, it's 30, 40 degrees and humid and you get off the plane and there is this, there was, I would say about 500 students from that school that welcomed us. And it was like the most overwhelming. We were all crying 
I mean, we were tired, we weren't cried at anything, but that was an emotional breakout of like, oh my goodness, these kids, these people are really welcoming us with open arms. So it was a very overpowering, overwhelming kind of an introduction. And then, of course, we started going to the school, and it was a school that was um, in the outskirts of Mombasa in a very poverty-stricken slum area called Changamwe. And the reason we went, because the school had donated money to build a perimeter wall around to keep bad people out of school. So the school that we were going with uh, donated over $100,000 to build this wall. So we were there to make sure that this, these funds were going for that purpose. So we were introduced into the classrooms. We went to every classroom and that's when my eyes were opened. Blackboards were very rare. Materials were not there. Um, kids in classes, 100 kids, one teacher, just sitting on top of each other in heat, but desperate for knowledge. I would say developing countries are full of high contrasts. Um, that's when I just fell in love with it. And I was like, I don't know what it is, and I didn't know at that time, but I want to come back. And during that time, the one most important thing that I got out of it is I met Hemet Mukui. He is a local Kenyan man that is, I would say, the most amazing human I have ever met in this world yet. When I met him on this first trip, um, we talked a lot about reaching out and, and what kind of projects does he do and what is his work and his selfless work with children that are handicapped and, and, and families that are just struggling and how he worked with it and within the system and how many things he'd done. It was like an instant. I fell in love with this person because he was just the most amazing human. So the next step was I got back and reflected and kept on it just didn't leave me alone. And so when I talked to Hamed, I said, can I come for the summer? Can I bring the kids? Is there somewhere I can be helpful in? And so he said, well, yes, there is. I do have a place that is just outside of Mombasa that is a small community where there's very little good education, children are roaming on the streets. So out of their own initiative, not having any funds or any means, but their desire to help their own community, two women put themselves together under a tree and said, invited children to come. And even though they had no education much themselves, they would read to them where they could. They would teach them the alphabet, they would teach them songs so that the kids didn't have to go into Mombasa for begging. The kids didn't have to roam, and the kids were more prepared to actually go into a school system by the time they go at the age of five. And um, so he said they're really, really eager to have change, but they just don't have the means to really make the change that they want to see. So that conversation happened over like six months. By, by the time it was around Christmas, I remember driving to church with my kids. At that time, they are um, 18 and, well, 15 and 17, actually. So we're driving to church, and we kept talking about Kenya. It had impacted them as well. It had changed their perspectives. 
Um, I just said, you know, um, how would you feel, guys, if we moved to Kenya for a year? And they were like, oh, mom, you're crazy. I'm like, well, it'll be an experience of a lifetime. Like, should we? So I went to church and I walked into church, saw a good friend of mine, and I immediately went to her and I said, how would you like to babysit my house for a year? And she's like, sure. I'm like, awesome, because I'm going to Kenya. Seeing those young children with their beautiful faces, those inquisitive eyes, I knew I had found a new purpose in my life. God opened so many doors and kept me going. I realized my life was coming full circle, back to my childhood and back to my dreams of helping others and giving them hope. I had no education around any of this kind of fundraising or charity work. I had no experience. I really, you would be, I would be the last person somebody would pick from an organization to go like, go and do this project for us, because I had nothing to show for. But the one thing I had is the desire to go and just to do it. And that's when things were brought to me. God opened doors, God brought me the right people. Mzoe sana, mzoe sana, habarigani, my friend. Mzoe sana, mzoe sana, Rafiki, and how are you? We're doing well, we're doing well. Winter is upon us here pretty soon, but we're managing. So, Hamad, tell me, how are the kids doing at school? Uh, they do, the kids are doing really well. They're doing amazingly well. And we thank God that they are safe. Um, Despite the challenges that we've had uh, with COVID, the kids are safe. We thank God for that. Um, moving forward in the next few months, we need to just up a little bit of our fundraising so we can keep providing for the security at the school, as well as the electricity issue that has come up. Uh, that is what I have for now. Yep. Um, Hamed, yeah, it was great to catch up. I'm glad we covered those um, points. I want to thank you so much for the meeting. It was really nice seeing you and getting connected. Thanks, Amir. Thanks for everything. See you next week and we'll catch up. Be safe until then. Habari and Asante Sana. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Um, you started off with one tree and the kids were under the tree. And where is it today? So that tree was and has become very significant. So the tree is on the donated land that we got donated from the elder of the village to build the school on. That's where the women gathered. And uh, it was always very profound because that tree, at that time still a bit smaller, was the root, the beginning, and it grew, you know. So if you water it and if you look after it, it it will develop into a big tree and it gives you all kinds of blessings. It gives you shade and it is strength. It has to have roots. It has to have all these things. And so the tree really became this, this icon for us that, you know, we're, we're grounded here. We, we will grow together. And when we put things together and care, so Jipamoyo became then that, that 
around the tree. And um, Jipamoyo in Swahili means give yourself hope. And that was then also came from there. That tree wasn't looking so great when I was there first. And then, you know, we watered it and it became a little bit bigger and it, it just developed. And so did Jipamoyo. Because then there was that, that hope and the tree is still there. What I learned is what they taught me as well is when I got sick, I was really desperate. I was sad. I was, I was desperate to do something, either get healthy or if then if I had some time left, I wanted, I had hope that I could still do something that had meaning and could help others. So through my devastation and, and my hurt, I had hope. And from hope, it came into the, it, the reconstruction of my life, like the restoration of, of my health, of my mental health. And so when I got into Kenya, I saw that desperate poverty. I saw the, the longing and the hope that their children would have a better future. And I was able to go with the help of so many and, and help in that journey of hope and restore faith in them. And that continued with um, a very good friend of mine whose little boy died, Sam. He died at two years old, very suddenly, unexpected, devastating as moms or anybody could imagine. And I had just come back from a trip to Kenya, so I stayed for a year, went back, and then kept going back and forth to Kenya. And they came to me, I was on the plane to Canada, and when I arrived, I heard the news that he had passed away. I was heartbroken. And so I went into the door and I knocked, and of course we cried, and the first thing she said to me is, you just came from Africa, and I'm like, yeah. You know, we've already been thinking about you. We would like to build classrooms in honor of Sam because he could never go. And we would like to have his life live on for children that have not got the opportunity to go to school. So we want Sam's legacy to be in Africa. God entrusted into their hearts like, Sam is not here, but mom and dad wanted his legacy to live on and, and do something in that grief that will help other children. So again, it was out of desperation into this hope to give other kids a bit of a better life and education, which then gets you back into the restoration. So it's been this beautiful wave of sadness, upset to hope, to restoration. And it's just a continuous flow of that. And, and, and it's like we learn in that desperation and then in that hope we come back to life and then we restored and then we can pass that on again. And those children that are going through Jipamoyo, the school, for the last 10 years now, have turned out very different to the children around the area. They do better at school because we give them love first, we respect them, we trust, they trust us. So once you have their hearts, then the rest is easy. The rest is reading, writing. I was able to create with 
everybody involved, an environment where kids were safe, were loved, and where education and, and learning could happen. It was a child-centered and not curriculum-centered education. It was never about me. It's never about that. It's always about what, what did this change, the this, this start of something different, the beginning, the do it now, the begin it now. What was the impact to those people, that community? There is something that I took very serious and, and, and therefore tried to um, live it out. And it's in Deuteronomy 15, verse 11. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbors in your land. And it's very fitting that you are now working here in the east side of Vancouver, where there's a lot of desperation, a lot of need, a lot of homelessness and addiction. So after coming back from Kenya, the need and the desire to do something meaningful, even in a work situation, is still really strong. And I was able to join the First United Church in the ministry outreach in the downtown east side. It wasn't the path I envisioned as a child, but through my own suffering, despair, followed by healing and hope of a future for my life, I learned to lean on God and trust Him. God gave me what He had prepared for me all along. He sent me on my own journey of hope. God empowered me to help others come out of disparity to hope and a brighter future. Hope for a better life. Hope for a life filled with purpose. A life filled with care for others. Thank you so much, Anka. That's exactly what you did. You began it now, and God opened up the doors for you. So I wonder if I could ask you to please pray for us. Yes, definitely. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to, to share your story. The short story of Kalyan Nombe, the story of the children that uh, we learn to love and uh, through your possibilities and opening of doors and sending people for this cause only because of that was it possible to help this community to grow and have hope again. Hope and knowing that you are life and that you love them and that there is help and that there are people that you send. So many things happen that I could have never foreseen. So I want to give you the glory for all that you've done and um, for continuing to bless those children and the project. I am forever grateful and thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Anka, your journey is more than your journey. It was journeys of hope and thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you. Friends, our free offer today unveils true stories that will change your life. It is entitled, The Invitation. The Invitation is a very powerful book containing true stories of people who were destroyed by circumstances and rebuilt by God's love. This is our free offer for you today. 
We want you to experience the truth that is found in the words of Jesus when he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to watch a video of this podcast, please visit iiw.ca or you can go to our IIW Canada YouTube channel and click on the videos tab. Once again, thank you so much for listening.